Hello, everyone, and welcome to this full moon meeting in Aquarius. The exact moment of the full moon occurs in just under 12 hours at 2.32 a.m. Eastern Time. And this means that our meditation today will occur during the most potent influence of the full moon energies. It is, it is important to remember, though, that these energies, which we work with at the time of the full moon, are, in fact, constantly streaming forth into humanity, and thus are always available for our use. As souls, we are at all times on rapport with the energies of light, goodwill, and spiritual power. And if we will these energies into expression, they can flow through us to others. And this act of will, willing these energies to flow through us, is really the act of alignment with the soul. For it is through the medium of the soul, the master in the heart, or the Christ within, that spiritual energies are able to reach humanity. And these energies, when they pour through us, have the potential to bring about a transformation of human relationships. And through this type of transformation, really it is, it is this type of transformation that humanity's most pressing problems are solved. And the full moon is a time when the planetary life has taken a deep inhale and is spiritually um, poised at an interlude of breathlessness, wherein the vertical alignment of the whole planet is held at a point of spiritual tension. And because we are all part of this whole, the vertical alignment of each of us and of our group is also facilitated. This presents us with an opportunity to reach upwards, higher than we otherwise would, and to align ourselves with the higher realms of truth and to touch, even if briefly, some sense of God. Our aim is, of course, to serve the spiritual evolution of humanity, not ourselves. And we do this by expressing this higher contact through the mediation of spiritual ideas, through the mediation of beauty, and through the mediation of light into expression on earth. And this idea of mediating divinity into expression is highlighted in the sign of Aquarius, under whose influence we now work. Aquarius, as many of us know, is the sign of the world's server. It is a sign of the group and also the sign of universal relationships. Aquarius is also, therefore, the sign of consciousness, you could say, and the soul, since the soul exists in a state of perfect relationship wherein its, in, it, its individuality is at one with all souls. A sometimes overlooked characteristic of the soul is its mutability. And the airy nature of, Aquar of Aquarius in many ways brings this quality to the fore. In this sign, the server learns to adapt themselves totally to world need. This requires that the disciple who seeks to serve an Aquarius overcome the vicissitudes of the human condition. It requires them to rise above pleasure and pain, depression and happiness, and to be detached and stoic so that the energy which they radiate is not marred by that which is temporal and unreal. 
in the service which Aquarius demands requires the combination of all three aspects of divine consciousness. It requires power through alignment, love through relationship, and creative expression through adaptability. Combining these three aspects, the server in Aquarius learns to stand still at the center of the even-armed cross, aligned with God in mediating the light and energy of that higher contact into human consciousness. This sort of vertical and horizontal orientation and dual activity aids in constructing a way forward for humanity. So before we proceed any further, let us just engage in a brief uh, meditation, or excuse me, a brief visualization sounded by the affirmation of the disciple. The cards are in your chairs. Raise the consciousness to the higher levels of the mental plane. Visualize yourself as a soul, a point of light within the greater light of the group soul. See this group light transform into a lighted path, connecting the worlds of human expression to the world of spiritual reality. Sound the affirmation. I am a point of light within a greater light. I am a strand of loving energy within the stream of love divine. I 
am a point of sacrificial fire focused within the fiery will of God and thus I stand. I am a way by which men may achieve. I am a source of strength enabling them to stand. I am a beam of light shining upon their way and thus I stand. And standing thus revolve and tread this way the ways of men and know the ways of God and thus I stand. So as we lift our, lift our consciousness to the higher levels of the mental plane, we eventually reach a place above the divisive nature of concrete thinking. The concrete mind, as we know, separates and divides in order to understand, and it is foremost an organ of discrimination. And it categorizes this from that, distinctive vibrations, from others, and it differentiates in order to know. The higher levels of the mind, however, are more synthetic, and the higher mind perceives the whole and thus understands the relationship between the myriad parts of that whole and between the whole or that oneness itself. The soul, you say, is, which is the, the true I, the true self, bridges between these two states of perception. And the soul sees both the multitudinous expression of form and its underlying synthesis at once. The soul is thus the great mediator. It mediates between divinity and form, but also between the individual and the group. The soul knows itself to be both life and substance, but also it knows itself to be both an individuality and at one with the group. And so consciousness thus brings a dual vision, one that is concrete and practical and mundane, and another which is abstract, synthetic, and universal. And this dual existence or dual vision highlights the purpose of the soul as a mediator between the archetypal duality spirit and matter. Spirit and matter are, in fact, two aspects of one principle, and the soul bridges and unites these aspects, and through the medium of itself, the soul synthesizes the two into the glory of the one. The soul does this through the development of consciousness, and consciousness, as we know, 
is the principle of relationship. It is relationship itself. The application of this principle to those lesser lives which are bound in darkness and separation is what lifts them upwards, is what redeems them, and what occultly makes them saved. It is for this purpose that our planet itself came into being, and it is also for this purpose that we as souls seek human incarnation. The act of incarnation itself constitutes a great sacrifice, and not really necessarily for the soul, which instinctually seeks experience and form, but for that greater overshadowing life, the solar angel. These solar angels are esoterically referred to as the returning nirvanis, and also as the lords of knowledge and compassion and of ceaseless persevering devotion. Their presence within our planetary life and their descent into matter is what enabled the fourth kingdom, the human, to come into existence. And we are told that these solar angels, although they are great overshadowing lives, they also, quote, were and are ourselves. An incarnation for them is occultly considered to be death, yet it is a death which they consciously choose and a death through which they ultimately live because they fulfill the purpose, the purpose of salvation and redemption which the planetary will demands. In our planetary logos, <coughs> excuse me, our planetary logos is um, characterized by two qualities which are not normally associated with such an exalted entity. These are pain and sorrow. And they result from the presence of what the Tibetan terms a quality of divine rebellion or an aversion that our Logos has to his divinely appointed task. It is difficult for us to really understand this state of the Logos, seeing as how his state of being is so far removed from the human state of consciousness. However, his um, predicament is expressed for us in a few symbolic statements. We are told that he, quote, he took a form and grieved to find it dark, and that he, quote, craved permission to return to that high place from whence he came. Yet we know our Logos, of course, did not return to this high place. Instead, he chose to incarnate. And we are told, quote, from the darkness, he heard a voice which said, we suffer here, we seek the light, we need the glory of an entering God. Raise us into the light and make the sacrifice. And thus our Logos descended into darkness, which is really into incarnation, to save those lesser lives and to lift them up into the light. In other words, he chose to die in order that those lesser lives might live. And yet he liked it not, and thus this created the pain and sorrow which he experiences. And this pain and sorrow is also clearly reflected in the human condition. For in humanity, true sacrifice is exceedingly rare because it, it entails significant loss. It causes pain and sorrow because it seeks no reward. And unlike heroism, true sacrifice does not feed pride. 
yet despite that sort of high bar of kind of true selfless impersonalized sacrifice acts of true sacrifice are in fact occurring all the time on our planet and many of them go unnoticed um, because they ask not for themselves yet we are not always necessarily doomed to suffer for we are told in the esoteric teachings that other planets in our solar system unlike our our planet for them the terms sacrifice and bliss are in fact synonymous this is because sacrifice ultimately brings liberation and an escape from bondage sacrifice however um, should not be misconstrued as a sort of self-abnegation or the destruction of individuality rather it is the process of breaking down the barriers that individuality imposes sacrifice is the expansion of one's consciousness beyond the self to identify with the group and with the whole and through sacrifice wholeness is known and individuality is preserved and this is really the you could say the true exaltation of the individual because it is lifted upward and takes its place within the group it becomes an expression of that which truly has neither limits nor borders sacrifice brings one into alignment with spiritual purpose it tears down the limitations imposed by self-interest so that the radiation of love can extend beyond the individual into one's community and into one's group and sacrifice thus you could say brings the power of right elimination and a breakdown of barriers leads eventually to a total identification with the whole and in this state the will of the individual is merged in the will of God and this consummation is expressed beautifully in the affirmation we spoke earlier I am a point of sacrificial fire focused within the fiery will of God and thus I stand yet we must not forget that the whole point of this <coughs> excuse me sort of expanded identification is the expanded ability to serve and in this state love and light are better able to pour through us to others interestingly the Tibetan defines the law of sacrifice as the impulse of giving that is through relinquishing the limitations of self-interest that truly the group conscious self is able to align with this impulse and to as we say give of thine uttermost on every plane and give again and this is really true spiritual service because it aligns the individual will with the greater will the will of God the work we are engaged with here today meditating at the time of the full moon is an integral part of what we call discipleship service and to understand discipleship service we really have to keep a few things in mind and first is that the service is always rendered by the soul and through the medium of the soul and form second is that discipleship service is the spontaneous effect of soul contact and what this means is that 
Service is essentially the instinctual nature of the soul. And um, you could say a natural, a natural expression of its consciousness acting upon form. The third thing to keep in mind is that the soul is, quote, a creative urge, a creative impulse, a creative momentous energy. And what this means, in my interpretation, is, of course, this, the soul is creative, but also that, this, that the true service as the soul is, is causative. It causes, it creates effects. However, it is not itself caused by effects, at least material effects. And in the full moon work, the service can be, we could say, divided into three phases, alignment, relationship, and creative expression. In alignment, you could say the soul aligns with, first aligns with the center of spiritual life. This is the realm of God or of divine purpose. The soul also identifies itself with the worldwide group of souls, with the hierarchy, which is, as we know, the planetary heart. The soul also extends that alignment downward to its body as a manifestation the personality, and it also aligns with the planetary center we call humanity. And second, the soul brings, brings this alignment, it brings all three aspects of the self and of the whole into a relationship. This sort of brings about sort of the, the quality of, of unification. Being the principle of relationship, the soul, it, it connects or it unites the higher and the lower through the medium of itself. It becomes, you could say, a two-way bridge of lighted substance, mediating between divinity and form. And in becoming this bridge, the soul is also the path that others might tread. It is integrated with the group and also with the planetary whole. And so the soul also brings, is able to bring, in a small way, those three great planetary centers Shambhala, hierarchy, and humanity into closer relationship. The third part of our work you could say that the soul creates thought forms in alignment with the spiritual ideas which seek expression through humanity. We could say also that the disciple is creative not just in the sense of mediating ideas but also in the sense of mediating energy for they have become a point of light within a lighted network of spiritual distribution. Having become, you could say, an agent of light, an agent of love, they are able to distribute this to humanity. There's other ways, of course, of describing our full moon work. And I think the presentation I've given is a somewhat idealistic picture of our work of discipleship service. But it's important to really keep in mind that really very few of us are able to live up perfectly to this very high idealism. But really this is the, the point of ideals, and is that they, they represent our highest aspirations, and they help us to concretize that vision which impels us forward on the path of evolution. And ultimately it is the personality always which fails and falls short, not really the soul. And a recognition of this highlights the, the need for sacrifice. 
Sacrifice is ultimately the relinquishing of that which is lower for that which is higher. And we are told this theme really underlies the entire process of evolution. Evolution, we know, is a, a process, not an immediate occurrence. And so it can be joyous and it can be alive and we can fail and we can get back up again and then continue on. Perhaps with that in mind, it is best to conceive of sacrifice as a sort of process of divine substitution, a substitution in which as the consciousness is raised, it raises up the form life as well. And this elevation leads eventually to a, a sort of, or leads gradually to an occult transparency, we could say, whereby the form is made transparent and purified, and the light of the soul shines through it in increasing expressions of beauty. Sacrifice on the path of discipleship also creates a path of ascent for our group brothers and sisters and for all lives who toil in darkness. And this is very important to keep in mind that we travel the path not alone. In conclusion, I would just like to quote a short passage from the Tibetan, which he cites as from a very ancient writing. And this passage exemplifies the pain, the joy, the sacrifice, and also the sort of liberation which is characteristic of the discipleship path. Before the gateway of each newborn day, which holds within its hours ordered responsibility, I stand. I cry aloud, Lord of my life, how can I do the duty of this day yet seek detachment, meet every need, yet free myself from ties and bonds? God said, The sun draws near and vivifies the earth. Naught can it take from out the earth. Live likewise. Give and ask not. So let us begin now with our meditation. Letting in the light. Group fusion. We affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity.
I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart, the great ashram of Sanat Kumara, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. We extend the line of light towards Shambhala, where, this, where the will of God is known.
higher interlude. Hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energies streaming into Shambhala and radiated throughout hierarchy. Using the creative imagination, endeavor to see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, hierarchy, and humanity gradually coming into alignment and interplay. Reflect on the seed thought. 
water of life am I, poured forth for thirsty men.
precipitation, using the creative imagination, visualize synergies of light, love, and will to good pouring throughout the planet and becoming anchored on earth. Use the sixfold progression of divine love, Shambhala, hierarchy, the Christ, the group of world servers, men and women of goodwill, and physical centers of distribution. interlude. Refocus the consciousness within the periphery of the great ashram. Sound the affirmation. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualize the downpouring spiritual inflow released from Shambhala through the hierarchy and streaming into humanity. Consider how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher.
distribution. As the great invocation is sounded, visualize the outpouring of light and love and power from the spiritual hierarchy through the five planetary inlets, irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Thank you all for coming, and thank you also to all of those who are listening in online via the live stream broadcast. Our next meeting is the New Moon meeting on Monday, February 24th at 6 p.m. Um, theme will be meeting the need of the world's most precious resource, its children. The following full moon will be held on March 8th, Sunday at 3. Also, just one final reminder that the exact moment of the full moon is occurring late this evening or early tomorrow morning at 2.33 a.m. Eastern Time. Thank you all.